Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Well, here we are again. MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television series of all time. That would be MASH. And that would be the show that starred this guy, Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello. And uh, your name again? Just to make sure I have a Alan Alda. Alan Alda. Yes. Wonderful job you did on that show, Matt. Thank you. Excellent job, Alan. Thank you. Really. I appreciate that. And you were so tall. If you'd have fallen down, you'd have been out of town. I'm telling you. <laughs> we're here all week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Ryan Patrick. No, I know you're not really Alan Alda. You're really Ryan Patrick. And I know that. So don't try and put it over on Yes, but people at IamAlanAlda.com don't know that. So don't give my secret away, okay? <laughs> How much do you make off those people? Is there a figure that I could get in on? I don't know. Note to self, buy the domain, I am AlanAlda.com. All right, got it. All right, so hey, uh, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing swell. I'm just doing swell. Now, I don't know when everybody's listening to this, but we've sort of all been through Thanksgiving. I had a great time. Uh, My wife and I had some friends over. We ate a lot of turkey. And uh, stuffing and all that kind of stuff. And I did something I'd never done before. I fixed a turkey and I brined it, wet brined it. I have dry brined them before. They don't like it either when you sprinkle stuff on them and stick them in the refrigerator. Boy, is there a commotion when you shut that door. (laughs) But the wet brining is different because once they go in the water, after a few minutes, they stop jerking around and <laughs> in the refrigerator they start uh, to brine up you know we're gonna and get then, so many letters we're gonna so get many. so many letters anyway i had a great time thank you i'm, I'm thankful for my, my friends and for eating that turkey the pork turkey i felt really bad but i'm sorry i trust you and your family had a wonderful time as well and all of our listeners i'm sure had wonderful times I yes i most of my family lives here so we don't have to really travel too far we do still have to navigate schedules and so essentially we ended up having lunch at one place and then going somewhere else and having lunch again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I had two lunches. Didn't really have anything else because I didn't need anything else. Because once you eat two lunches, you're pretty much done for the week. You're sated. I could have hibernated. I could have gone into hibernation <laughs> with all the carbs that I had stored up in my body. I think I could have slept until February if, if need be. <laughs> But, you know, if we did that, we wouldn't be here to give you yet another episode of MASH Matters where we answer your questions and you can keep those questions coming in. Podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave voicemails and we'll tell you all about that as we go. But before we get into new questions, let's cover a little bit of feedback from one of our previous episodes. In particular, we're going to talk about Grape Knee High. You know, a few episodes back, we talked about Grape Knee High and how Radar had claimed it had real grape flavor. And then somebody discovered a bottle at a Cracker Barrel and realized that it was artificial flavoring. And uh, I feel like we uncovered a huge conspiracy here. Mm -hmm. And now we have a little bit of feedback on Grape Knee High. Well, since our last podcast, when we talked about this, I hoped that the next podcast, we could continue the discussion. (laughs) My fingers were crossed someone would come back with some more information about Grape Neon. So here we go. Here we go. 
Manfred said, hey, Jeff and Ryan, I hope you're both doing well. Just listen to episode 93, and I have to contribute something to the Grape Knee High conspiracy. In the episode, The Winchester Tapes, Charles comes to Radar with a crate full of bottles, which Radar refers to as Grape Knee High. But in fact, they're Knee High Orange Soda. There are three different flavors of Knee High Soda, orange, peach, and grape. Those bottles in the crate are all orange-colored, while the Grape Knee High would come out as more purple or even black. It is worth mentioning that although the crate was not an original one from the Knee High Corporation, at least they got it with 24 bottles as the original wooden crate would come. I'm a little surprised, though, about Radar saying that one bottle would cost him $1 at Rosie's. Back in the 1950s, I wasn't even born yet, and I don't live in the U.S. How much was the average price of a 12-ounce soda? I've read that Coca-Cola had fixed prices on their 6-ounce bottles until the end of the 50s at just a nickel. I guess with that amount of difference in price, the Nehigh Corporation would have gone bankrupt a long time ago. On the subject of people's least favorite episodes, that's intriguing, but let's not make it a simple vote. Let the people explain why that special episode is their least favorite. Both you and your family, stay healthy, take care, and we're looking forward to a lot more MASH Matters. Well, thank you, Manfred. I could not find uh, the price for Nehigh, but... I did do a little bit of math and adjusted for inflation. $1 in 1952 would equal $10.52 today. Hmm. That's how much essentially Radar was paying Rosie for Grape Nehigh. We all know, though, that Rosie is a swindler, so <laughs> that might make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. maybe she was buying it for a nickel, but marking it up to a dollar. I wouldn't put it past Rosie. No, I think that was the M.O. of Rosie's uh, along the path outside camps. I think that's what they did. You know, she's got overhead. Darn straight. That's right. (laughs) You got to keep that little hut up and running and stuff. You got (laughs) to earn some money. Right. Well, keeping in the same vein, Joel says, hi, Jeff and Ryan. After listening to the recent podcast about Grape Nehigh, I found some evidence for natural flavor. Apparently, there is enough to be able to legally put the words on there, but it isn't specific that it's natural grape. Ah, <laughs> that's the Grape Nehigh company calling me now. <laughs> that's Nehigh's lawyers calling right now <laughs> with a cease and desist. <laughs> Nehigh, be right with you. Okay, we're back to... Joel's letter, and he says, uh, I found some evidence for natural flavor. Apparently, there is enough to be able to legally put the words on there, but it isn't specific that it's natural grape flavor. Ha ha! But there is some kind of natural flavor in it. You can see the attached photos with highlights. Of course, I can't see them. Neither can any of the listeners. But we, we, will, we will put the photos in the show notes for this episode. Okay. As a kid, I loved grape everything except real grapes. Grape juice, grape gum, grape taffy, grape soda, grape ice cream, but I never got around to trying grape knee-high. I'll have to try to find a bottle. Would be interesting to see if you could get grape knee-high as a sponsor (laughs) or a lawsuit. Keep up the grape work. Ah, Joel. Hey, we'll do the jokes. All right, come on. Uh, Grape enthusiast and MASH Matters fan. Yeah, so uh, Grape Nehigh, if you want to be a sponsor of MASH Matters, our DMs are open. Yes. Greg also has something to say about Nehigh. He says, Jeff and Ryan, I think the answer to the real grape flavor question is simply that it's supposed to be a punchline. That's how I've always taken it. It's as if it was a line from Nehigh advertising, either real or fictional, that it had, quote, real grape flavor. A classic advertising misdirection that sounds like they're saying it's made with real grapes, but they're really just saying that it's made with real flavoring that makes it taste like grapes. Remember ivory soap being 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure? 
Aha. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody is on the same page here. Whether or not Nehi ever advertised real grape flavor, it's not necessarily to mean that it actually had real grapes in it. It's just that it had a flavoring that tasted like grape and that flavoring just happened to be real. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, uh... I don't know about you, Ryan, but I don't think I ever drank any ivory soap. Did you ever drink ivory soap? I mean, 99 and 44, 100% pure. I don't know because I never tasted it. It's not bad. Yeah. It's a little tangy. Yeah. I mean, it it pairs well with sea bass. It's really good with sea bass. Uh, You have to get it in season, though. That's the main thing is you don't want to get it out of season. Salmon. Salmon. A grilled salmon. yes. Really nice. Yes. Wayne. Oh, boy. Wayne, please, Wayne, ask us something else other than something about great (laughs) knee please. All right. Wayne says, hello. Just a quick hello to thank you for keeping the memory alive. Oh, it's not memory of grape knee high, is it? No. No, no. Love the website. Just found it the other day and look forward to jumping right into the podcast. Please do, Wayne. Thank you. I was fortunate enough to meet Loretta Swit and Jamie Farr at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention on the 50th anniversary of the show's first episode. They were super nice, friendly, and full of energy, as opposed to Jeff Maxwell, who is irritating and not very funny. <laughs> I was wondering if you ever discussed the props used on the show and possibly where some of the more iconic props may be today. The Smithsonian will display the signpost on December 9th, and I will be there to see it and take pictures. I am a historian for the Department of Agriculture just across the mall from the Smithsonian's American History Museum. If you're ever in the neighborhood, stop by for a tour. That's cool. Hey, Wayne, yeah. we should do that. Let's go tour the the uh, agriculture department. Now, what's in the Department of Agriculture? I mean, do they keep Brussels sprouts in there? or <laughs> What do they keep in there? What would we see there? Asparagus? <laughs> How to grow spinach? Wheat? I don't Is know. Is there a cow in the... <laughs> what do you see? A cow? <laughs> Well, thank you for your invitation, Wayne. If we ever are in D.C., we'll we'll stop by and see you. I'd like to get out to D.C. to see the signposts because it is now, as of this airing here of this podcast, it is on display for the first time since 2012 in a new uh, exhibition called Entertainment Nation at the uh, American History Museum, the Smithsonian's American History Museum. Don't know how long that exhibition is going, but I think it's going to be a long-term exhibition. So hopefully we can get out there to see it. And a few months ago, we were interviewed by uh, Chris from Smithsonian Magazine. And we have a link to that article in the show notes for this episode, talking specifically about the signpost and the exhibition of that signpost at the Smithsonian Institution. So thank you for the reminder, Wayne. And if you take some pictures of that, please send them our way. Yeah, we'd love to see that. And stick, you know, stick your elbow up on the signpost and hang out there. It's really cool doing that. I like, or you put a hat on it. That's fun too. They may ask you to leave, but what the heck. All right, let's have a voicemail here. This one coming to us from William. Hey, Jeff and Ryan. Uh, Firstly, I absolutely love your podcast. Just want to thank you for doing it, basically. I always look forward to each episode, so don't stop, ever. I love hearing other fans calling in and and hearing everyone's MASH origin stories. When I was in junior high in the mid-90s, In my science class, our teacher would show segments from the show Alan Alda hosted, Scientific American Frontiers, and I remember a local TV station would show two episodes of The Simpsons back-to-back, 
at 6, followed by two episodes of M.A.S.H. at 7, and I didn't really watch it until I was amused one night to see a young Alan Alda from that science show, so I started watching M.A.S.H. pretty regularly, and I remember the first full episode I saw was 5 O'Clock Charlie, so that episode holds a special significance for me. I live in L.A. in the Valley. I look for Jeff every time I go to Ralph's, but he probably has his assistants out shopping for him or something. My wife actually works for Fox on the lot, and before the pandemic, I used to be able to go meet her for lunch, and we'd go to the commissary on the lot. They have a great salad bar, and if she had time, we would walk around a bit. So I've seen the outside of Stage 9. At the time, they were filming that show, 911, so peeking in the big doors, I could see a modern hospital set, and there were fake fire trucks and ambulances idling outside. I've been out to the match site at the Malibu Creek State Park several times over the years. It's incredibly fun to be out there, but I wouldn't recommend going during the summer. I'd say between November and May would be the best bet and bring plenty of water. It changes slightly every time I've been out there. They move some stuff around and they've added picnic tables and netting where the mess tent would have been. It's a relatively easy hike. You're on a flat dirt road for most of it, but it is two miles in, two miles out. So be prepared. So finally, arriving at my question, there was a movie Loretta Swit was in in the mid-70s called Race with the Devil, where she and her husband, named Frank, by the way, played by Peter Fonda and, and two other friends, are being chased in their RV by a cult after they accidentally witnessed them sacrificing a girl. It's, it's better than it sounds, but it got me wondering, Jeff, if all you actors got around the water cooler and talked about auditions for movies or other shows you were going for, and if you remember any stories of roles that could have been, and if you were in a film that was released while you were filming episodes of MASH, were there, you know, celebratory cakes, if the movie did well. But anyway, hope this message finds you well, and I look forward to more MASH matters. Um, Bye-bye and and bye bonds. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) William, he recorded that on his own little voice recorder and then just emailed us the MP3. So if that's something you're interested in doing, you can do that as well, or you can call and leave a voicemail, and we'll give you that number a little bit later. Thank you, William. Some nice things in there, you know, talking about his time on the Fox lot and seeing Stage 9 where we were a few months ago. And 911 is still filming on Stage 9. But then he brought up this movie that I was not aware of, this race with the devil. And I did a little bit of research and, and found the trailer for it. And I'll put the tra- a link to the trailer in the show notes for this episode, episode 95. Peter Fonda, Warren Oates, Loretta Swift, Lara Parker. Race with the devil. When you race with the devil, you'd better be faster than hell. After watching the trailer, I kind of want to watch the movie. <laughs> it's well, kind of wild. <laughs> I, I'm going to reveal this now. It's not. It's not really a. I mean, it is a movie, but it's actual truth. It actually was happening. Oh, So it's kind of a documentary because uh, Loretta and Fonda were actually chased by a cult in an RV. Oh, wow. And they had to race across the country, I guess, to get away from the cult. So it's it's a real thing that actually happened. It's Good thing really, they had a film crew with them, huh? Yeah, they just happened to have some cameras Oof. and sound guys. And yeah, well, you know, lucky. actors always <laughs> want to be prepared. And they, <laughs> they're going across the country in an RV. Well, let's get a film crew. You know, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> So, uh, (laughs) 
and I've seen it. It's good. It, it's yeah. worth watching. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm sorry, uh, William, we haven't seen each other in Ralph's. I, <laughs> I'm going to look for you. Well, he's seen your assistant, right? Yeah. Transpetta. She's great. Transpetta. <laughs> Transpetta. <laughs> when, when she's in the salmon department, just say, Transpetta, is that you? Say hi to Jeff. When she might talk to you, I don't know, because she's got an air about her. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. I don't either. <laughs> Somebody stop me. All right. So William had a great question. When actors on the show would have other projects, yes. would you guys discuss that stuff? If the movie or show did really well that they were in, would you celebrate? What was it like when other people would go on and do other projects during MASH? It was hell. I mean, let's be real. It was terrible. You never want anybody to do well at all when you're doing something. You did good? Oh, yeah. no. Really? Oh, great. Congratulations. I could have done better. <laughs> Darn right. Had you I been racing with the devil. I could have been racing. I could have been in that RV. Boy, what I would have done in that RV. You know, it was a while ago. I don't remember any conversations like that, but I'm sure if somebody did something. Now, you know, during MASH, there were, uh, you know, people were basically under contract. So there wasn't a lot of other, you know, jumping around from a film to a this or to a that. Uh, people were really pretty much locked into doing this, the schedule of the TV show. But if there were, uh, you know, shows that somebody did or a movie or part or something, everybody would be quite friendly about it. And, oh, yeah, you're great. But I don't remember the conversations, quite frankly. I'm sorry. I wish I could. I don't. I was cast in a television series and uh, was very happy about it. It was a television series where I had to, interestingly enough, had to dress like a woman from time to time. This was a part of a cross-dresser. And uh, I got the part. <laughs> I guess I did it very well and got the part. Typecasting, huh? I guess. Yeah. And... Uh, while I was in the audition, I was auditioning with this young boy who said, oh, you're you're doing this thing. And uh, oh, boy. And and he said, I'm nervous. And I said, well, don't be nervous. You know, we're all nervous and go in and do their best you can. And it'll be good. Well, long story short, he gets the part of the little boy in the series. But interestingly enough, and I hope it's interesting, the little boy was actually a little girl. Hmm. And for some reason, the agent thought it would be interesting to uh, have her audition as a little boy. Why, I don't know. There may have been something agent thought of that was funny or good, but he did that. Hmm. So the little boy gets the part, but the little boy then has to reveal that the little boy is actually a little girl. Now, I'm confused. I don't know if anybody else is confused right now. I'm confused, and I went through it. But what happened was the producers and the writers and the networks and everybody got together and said, gee, if this was really a little girl who is pretending to be a little boy, but then exposes herself as a little girl or reveals herself as a little girl, this is kind of confusing the issue of the television show. So we probably shouldn't have the cross-dresser person in it. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, it went on and on from there. The reality is I think they paid me some money <laughs> to just go away. <laughs> and I was happy to go away because I was so confused. I didn't know what had happened. But that's one of the kooky things that can happen to you while you're 
an actor audition wow. thing. Yeah, I, wow. I lost the part because this transition, I guess that they were going to somehow include in the show and that was going to confuse people even more. Wow. Today, I don't think it would have been an issue. Right. But this was back in the 1900s. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the late back, 1900s. You went out, you took off your dress, you got in your covered wagon and you went home. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I on the way home from the audition, I was out of gas. So I had to stop in the gas station in high heels and get out of the car and <laughs> put the gas in there. Again, had that happened today, it wouldn't be a big deal. No big deal. I, right. I you know, I have to admit, I was not a terribly attractive person in female. <laughs> you <clothing>. don't say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my story. Oh yeah. wow! Okay, thank you, William. See you in Ralph. See you in Ralph's. I'll look for you. Do you know? Did that little girl go on to like notoriety? Did she stay in the business? Do you know? Uh, Beyonce. Ah. I knew it. She See? turned into Beyonce. This is a scoop, ladies and gentlemen. This is a scoop. No, it was. It wasn't really. No, I don't believe that uh, he or she went on to be of any note. <laughs> what well, does that make you feel better then? <laughs> <laughs> I wished them well, but uh-huh. I didn't hear hear from them at all. Again, I, I'll put the link to the trailer to Race with the Devil in the show notes. Also in the show notes, going to put a couple of links to some things. This is a shout out to our friend Alan, who lives over in Australia. He put together a mini mash diorama, and it's really impressive. And not only that, but he did a really cool video of the diorama that we'll put a link to in our show notes and you can see his handiwork but he did a really neat job of filming it and capturing the essence of mash anyway it's hard to explain on an audio podcast so go look at it yes alan also uh, wrote a spec script for mash and you can uh, find that as well in the show notes for this episode so thank you alan for sharing those cool little nuggets with us yeah that diorama is really cool i watched it and, and boy at, at first i went eh, what is this and then it got, it really hooked me. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. It just went on. It's cool. It is really cool. A lot of work went into that. So yeah. congratulations. That was uh, well, well done. Boy, wonderful thing. It was a lot of fun to watch. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to Keith. Keith says, thought you'd like to hear my MASH related story from the 70s. Here in the UK, color TV was still quite new. Most people, including us, rented a TV set and there were three channels, BBC, BBC Two, and ITV. MASH was on BBC Two, and I recall it being described as zany. I remember writing to Jamie Farr with a suggestion for a fan club in the UK. He responded and pulled strings at 20th Century Fox to get things rolling. One day, a very large envelope full of publicity photos arrived with cast bios, etc. I took out a couple of ads in the new Musical Express, and memberships trickled in. I don't recall what the subscription fee was, but every time one rolled in, I spent it on promotional material for the club. Remember, there was no internet, no email, everything was snail mail. We had letterheads, olive green membership cards, and at Christmas, I had small olive green pocket diaries made with mash on the front in gold. All members got one with their end-of-year newsletter, and as my brother-in-law was going to California on business, I had him post locally a box of diaries for the cast of the show. Had letters of thanks from Jamie Farr, Gary Berghoff, and Mike Farrell. Now I have to make special mention of Mike because I heard from him several times. Always handwritten on little notes with, War is not healthy for children and other living things on the front. I think it was 1976, a pal of mine was off on a trip to the U.S. with one of her school friends. 
I wrote to the people at Fox and asked if they might arrange a visit. What a day they had. Met all the cast, especially loved J.B. Farr and Gary Berghoff, and had a tour of the camp. At the time, Starsky and Hutch was also huge on TV around the world. Their day was complete with a sit in the red Torino and a nose through the wardrobe trailer. They came home with some discarded trash from the back of Hutch's battered old car and (laughs) some scripts from MASH and, of course, a lot of memories. I had a couple of scripts, too, but loaned them to someone and never got them back. Oh, that's a shame. There was a lot of work involved, late nights at my typewriter, in my bedroom, photocopying at work, addressing envelopes, answering inquiries, and forwarding fan mail. MASH was truly a unique show, and the humor stood the test of time. It is currently enjoying a rerun over here on the Sony channel five nights a week, and I enjoy watching the show with a slightly different set of eyes. What a story. Keith, thank you. That is an amazing experience to have hey, I got an idea, and to have been able to connect with the studio and with the actors and for everybody that kind of uh, supported you. So congratulations to you for you know having the foresight to do that, the enthusiasm to do it, and congratulations to everybody at MASH who kind of picked it up and ran with it because that was a cool experience. Very cool story. Thank you, Keith. certainly resonates with me because a few years ago, I had this idea of doing a podcast and I reached hmm. out to one of the actors on the show. and Really? Well, he said no. So then I moved on to Jeff and... Uh, <laughs> Jeff said yes. You can't, he'll do anything. He'll, he'll, he'll show up at Ralph's if you want him to. That's right. He doesn't care. I can relate to what mm-hmm. he did. You know, your love for the show and mm-hmm. having a connection with somebody from the show and being able to put all this together and having late nights at not at a typewriter, but at my computer and addressing envelopes and answering mail. And, you mm-hmm. know, I get it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, but we do this as a labor of love. And so. Thank you for your uh, note there, Keith. And I would love to see if you have like a photo of one of the old membership cards or one of those little diaries that you put together. If you have like a photo of those, uh, send them to us. I'd love to see what those look like. Yeah. You know, Starsky and Hutch. I did a Starsky and Hutch. Uh, yes. One episode of Starsky and Hutch. A yeah, we talked ago, about too. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite yeah. an interesting experience. But w- what a fun a moment to uh, have the studio you know, agree to have everybody, you know, his friends come and uh, tour the set and meet everybody. And how about that? That's really phenomenal. That's pretty cool. Congratulations. All right. We're moving on. I got some more questions to get to, but before we do that, we want to salute some of our Patreon VIPs, including Private Bruce Lish, Private Monica Jane, Corporal Lisa Neville, Corporal John Hatch, Captain Christo Cheris, Captain Greg Richer, Major Kiranjeet Singh Budeo, and Major Derek Wade. Thank you for your support of MASH Matters on Patreon. We're going to be doing some more stuff on Patreon coming up in the new year, so If you would like to get in on that and have some exclusive content and early peeks at the new episodes and some cool swag, you can hop over to mashmatters.com slash support and sign up to be a Mash Matters VIP. Uh, We're still working with the legal department at Patreon about the nudity issue, but I think we can I think we can get past it. So stay tuned, everybody. Uh, Michael said, hey, Jeff and Ryan, in the intro to the show when I was younger, the close-up of the helicopters always looked to be flying backwards. I know it's because the camera appears to be moving faster than the helicopter, which gives the illusion of flying backwards, but I was wondering if anyone else saw the helicopter flying backwards. 
Well, Michael, yes, when you watch the show, it does appear that they're flying backwards against the hills there. I did a little bit of digging and I found a post about this on Reddit. The person who posted this goes by the name Jack Donaghy's wingman, (laughs) which I think is funny. This person says the two choppers are being filmed from a third aircraft. They're moving forward, but because the camera is also moving forward, possibly at a different rate of speed, the choppers appear to be moving backward. This backward motion is just relative to the camera in the third aircraft. It's basically the same reason a car you pass on the highway might appear to be going backwards or sitting still relative to your own forward motion. And that makes sense. So if you're in the aircraft and you are next to it or passing it and you're filming, it might look like the helicopter is flying backwards. Or maybe... Maybe it's just possible, Jeff. And I don't know. I mean, you were on the set. Mm-hmm. Maybe these pilots just like to fly backwards. You know, I mean, it's possible, right? Well, they, they flew by the seat of their pants. And if the <laughs> pants were put on backwards, they may have gone backwards. I don't Who know. Who knows? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, d- I doubt that. No. And we now are very excited to have a voicemail from Kate. Kate, you're on. Hi, guys. Wow. My name is Kate, and I'm calling from Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. It was mentioned quite a few times in MASH. I just wanted to share my love affair with MASH started, I was born in 1972. Um, it wasn't a, a love at first sight because my father was not, um, did not approve of MASH. He was active duty Army, but it didn't stop me from becoming a fan throughout the years. And in fact, um, MASH influenced my life in so many ways. It's almost kind of just, uh, it just tickles me. Um, I went on to enlist myself in the military as a combat medic. I met my husband, who is active duty military. We had six children, and we've lived in South Korea twice. Um, just and loved every minute of that, and so much of um, what I would see on the episodes, um, we would go and actually kind of look. We was we were um, up near the DMZ that was spoken about um, and enjoyed just learning more about the country. Um, in so many ways, Margaret Houlihan, head nurse of 4077, was a role model to me. I'm 50 years old, and I'm returning to school to be a registered nurse. And um, with that, I hope and pray that I will can work with the veterans and um, just continually give back. But MASH had such um, an impact on my life as a girl and then a young woman that um, I it's, it's even hard to kind of quantify all of that. But thank you so much for the podcast. I truly love it. It's fun and um, entertaining. So keep up the great work, guys. Take good care. Bye-bye. Holy moly. You know, okay, listen, I did a pretty good job as Private Igor Straminsky on MASH. But I'm humbled when somebody like Kate says, yeah, I was a combat medic, you know. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, never mind about that Igor thing. You were a combat medic. Wow. Yeah. Good grief. I, thank you for your service, Kate. Um, yes. And your husband. But boy, uh, being a combat medic, and now after all these years, she's going to, you know, go back and become a registered nurse. My goodness. What? And all because of MASH. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Pretty good show. A cute little show, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I continued to be stunned. So, Kate, you stunned me. I'm so impressed. And I got chills when I heard you say, I mean, I thought you were going to say something. I didn't know what. But when you said I was a combat medic, 
holy, that is really a, a super duper job. And uh, yes, Korea, I happened to be in Korea a couple of times and I agree, I enjoyed Korea very much. I would go back. I loved the people and it was a very pleasant experience. Luckily, I wasn't there in combat or 1953, but certainly in the uh, 70s, I was there and people were very nice and it was a very, very, very pleasant experience to be there. Wonderful place to visit if anybody is thinking about doing it. I would highly recommend it. We heard from Rochelle and she passed on a link to another podcast. She says, I listened to a podcast on American Catholic history and uh, this particular episode talks about Father Mulcahy. Thank you, Rochelle, for sending that to us. I listened to this podcast, and it's really well done. It's a very short podcast. It's AmericanCatholicHistory.org. This particular episode, they talk about Francis Mulcahy. It comes from a historical perspective in the Catholic Church, and I found it very interesting. Just a nice little celebration of the character and also a nice celebration of the wonderful man that Bill Christopher was. Uh, We'll put the link to this particular episode in the show notes for American Catholic History, talking about Father. Father Mulcahy, so you can listen and enjoy. Bill Christopher, what a great guy. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. I miss him. Well, moving on, Jim writes and says, we've seen on-screen chemistry with actors before. Mathau and Lemon, Pryor and Wilder, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. But on MASH, <laughs> those guys, those guys killed. Those bunnies and Elmer Fudd, they were great. <laughs> they were great. But... On MASH, there was an amazing chemistry with the entire cast, including guest stars like Alan Arbus and Edward Winter. Jeff, that's me. What was it like working on the show with screen chemistry like that? Wow. Um, It was awful. My gosh. A miserable experience from 7 in the morning till 7 at night. You you got a rash. You broke out in hives. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, it was wonderful uh, when you walk into something and you can just be who you are and enjoy it and people uh, accept you for that. And then when you're doing a role or you're doing parts and you're reading a script and you're talking the lines and it seems to be kind of effortless mm-hmm. and appreciated, um, which is what happens when that chemistry is there and when the chemistry helps support whatever that character is and is doing and vice versa, um, that's really a, a real joy. And so my own perspective of that chemistry was, a, it was a joy for me for nine years. And I know that, um, that chemistry helped everybody else to enjoy it for their 11 years. So yeah, it's a great thing when you got it. Mm-hmm. Very good. And it's not good when you don't have it. <laughs> it's not good when you don't have it. The no. problem is Ryan and I are trying desperately to create some, I don't know whether it's going to work. <laughs> Um, it's been a number of years. We can keep trying, Ryan. I honestly, folks, it's gotten to the point where Jeff and I don't even record these podcasts together anymore. Uh, he records his part. I record my part through the magic of editing. It sounds like we're actually good friends and and talking to each other. Take the dog out. Will you please take the dog out now? (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to record this podcast thing. It's a struggle, people. You see what I mean? You see what I'm talking about? 
No. It, it, there is something to say about chemistry, though. I mean, it's it really is amazing. The, the thing about chemistry is when you're watching a show, you don't realize that you're watching people who have amazing chemistry because, like you said, it is effortless. Mm-hmm. You don't really notice chemistry until you watch two people who do not have it <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, right. Then it becomes yeah. very evident, wow, they don't work well together. <laughs> so I think bad chemistry is a lot more noticeable sometimes than good chemistry. Yes. It's so effortless and it's so pleasant to watch. You don't sit here and go, oh, they have nice chemistry. You just sit there and go, oh, I really like them. This is great. I am really enjoying watching this. Mm -hmm. Not just one or two characters, but in the case of MASH, when you had the entire freaking cast Mm -hmm. firing on all cylinders at all times. Mm -hmm. That's a rare thing. And and I think it happened not only because the people were who they were inside and had, uh, you know, their own innate qualities that were terrific. But also because they were there and they all had a a central goal and an agenda of doing good work. It wasn't just about the selfish, oh gosh, I want to have a really good time on a TV show like I was there for. They were there to do some really terrific work and and it worked over and over and over. And it worked with the writers or the directors, the producers and the actors. So there really was lightning in a bottle with MASH because all those people had that in mind Every single time they got together, there was a great deal of humor and camaraderie. But because of that uh, common goal, I think that really helped really support the uh, the chemistry w- that was there. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, maybe we should go to therapy. We could go to a counselor, <laughs> ke- a chemistry counselor. We could try. Is there a podcast therapist out there that can help us? Anyone? <laughs> we need something. We need help. Please. We're going to move on now. Tom Guys, he sent us uh, an email a while back. He said, I-, I just wanted you to know that I recently had the opportunity to interview Larry Hama at a local comic book convention. After getting the G.I. Joe formalities out of the way, I turned to the more important stuff, MASH. And Tom sent us the video clip that he recorded with Larry, and he gave us permission to use this and to share it with you. It's about 90 seconds long. I'm going to play the audio from it. But to give a little background, in case you don't know who Larry Hama is, he's most well known for being a comic book writer and artist. He is linked especially to the G.I. Joe comic book series for Marvel. He wrote that. But before that, he was an actor, and he appeared in the season five episode, The Korean Surgeon. He was one of the two North Koreans who disguised themselves as South Korean soldiers in order to steal supplies from the 4077th, and they end up abducting Frank, and then they get fed up with Frank, and they abandon him. (laughs) So here's a little clip from our friend Tom of Larry Hama talking about his time on MASH. Well, that was a real surreal experience because the, the, the MASH set, is up in the mountains in Malibu, so it's, it's kind of out of the way. And you're, no one is allowed on the set, was allowed on the set, unless they were in uniform for, uh, you know, fatigues or... Uh, nothing that broke the illusion was allowed on the set. You know, all, like the sound truck was in an ambulance and and things like that, and all the crew, you know, the camera people and the sound people, they were all in fatigues. So somebody walking, you know, like, you know, a hundred yards down, you know, way in the background, uh, wouldn't be out of place. And in fact, you know, the the mess tent that they they used in the series was an actually functioning. Uh, facility and you know everybody ate lunch in the mess tent and we ate off of steel trays 
and it was totally immersive. You know, you you started to believe that you were in in Korea in, in the fifties. You know, and um, a lot of people kind of disturbed by it as a too much of a deja vu experience for people who had actually been in the service. <laughs> so that's his memory of mm-hmm. uh, his guest appearance on MASH. Is, does that sound right, Jeff? Because I've seen some of the photos that you've taken from the set, uh, behind the scenes photos, and you know, you have the crew not dressed in fatigues. They were just dressed in their normal clothing. So I had not heard anything about crew members dressed up in fatigues. Uh, it was always hard to keep the crew members uh, dressing, let alone in uniform. <laughs> they uh, had their own sort of perspective. Uh, it was the 70s, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they were experimental. They were ahead of their yeah. time. Uh, you know, I don't want to uh, you know, dispute anything that Larry has said. Uh, he may have had an experience that I didn't. In my nine years there, I never saw the crew, per se, dress in fatigues. Mm-hmm. All of the extras did and all of the actors did were portraying the people in the show did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never saw any of the crew ever dressed in fatigue. So, no, I don't don't recall that. Now, okay. Again, maybe there was some day there he was there and something happened that I didn't know. Nor do I remember having the uh, vehicles support the sound crew <laughs> or any of the sound equipment. But again, you know, it was a long time ago and uh, memories fade <laughs> and, and switch and change and grow and <laughs> evolve. Right. So maybe there was something there that he caught his eye and then he, he is expressing. So I, I don't know, but okay. that was not my experience per se. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. I, yeah. Cause when I heard him say those things, it, not that he's incorrect. I, it just didn't sound familiar with everything that I've seen or heard. Yeah. In thinking about it, I think what is interesting and what may have given him this kind of an impression is that once you're there on that set and you've seen it and there were a lot of people dressed in green uniforms, a lot of people, and especially it was a big extra day and there were lots of folks out there and all the actors and all the tents were up and mm-hmm. it's, it's very green. Green. Everything was green, green. Wherever you looked, it was green. And so you could look and you can turn around, you can see 35, 40 people all dressed in the same uniform. And you do feel immersed in something. It did help everybody to believe that they were in a camp somewhere instead of in Malibu. So that may be what he's responding to is that yeah, once I got there and got in that environment, I really felt immersed in the fantasy of what MASH was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so that may be it. Because I did too. You get in there and everybody's green and you're looking around and you think, yeah, really, I'm in a, some, I'm in Korea. I'm some weird place. I'm not sitting out, out here in the mountains of Malibu. And, uh, you know, it changes your mind a little bit. And it's it's helpful for you to do the parts. So yeah. that may be what, what he was responding to. And that I believe. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Absolutely. And Rebecca. Rebecca says, my name is Rebecca. I'm 14. By the time you read this, I will most likely be 15 and live in New Zealand. Wow. When I had COVID, oh, that's that. Now I'm sorry you had COVID. When I had COVID and had to self-isolate my room for seven days, I watched quite a bit of MASH. Whenever I'm feeling a little down, MASH always makes me feel better. My friends haven't watched MASH and honestly don't even know what it is, which isn't really that surprising considering that we were all born at least 36 years after the show ended. 
Anyway, my MASH story is a little different from other people because it wasn't my parents that got me onto MASH. It was myself. I have now watched the series fully two times on Disney+. Plus. Near the start of the podcast, you asked us where we listen to the podcast. I listen to the podcast on the bus home from school and sometimes going to school, which is why it's taken me so long to get up to date. I wanted to be all caught up before I wrote in. I had an idea for a 50th MASH special. My idea was that all the remaining MASH family, they could all get together and sit around a table or something and reminisce about MASH and also talk about where they think the characters went after MASH based on the ending they got and talk about the cast members that have passed on. Sort of like the 30th anniversary special they did, but with way more people. Maybe it could be something that MASH fans all over the world could watch for free. I have a question for Jeff. I was wondering if Jeff could share a story of an awkward or embarrassing interaction with a fan. Just before I wrap up, I wanted to point out that the end of your phone number is 4077. Was that intentional or a happy accident? All right. Well, Rebecca. When you started reading that, she was 14. And by the time you finished reading it, she had turned 15 years old. <laughs> yeah, if not 16 or 17. She may, <laughs> she may be able to drink now. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's wonderful, Rebecca, that you discovered MASH and you, you, uh, you know, investigated it yourself. I'm sorry that your friends haven't watched it. And my advice to you is to get better friends. That's what I would tell you. Move on. What do they know? They don't know anything. Yeah. A a 50th MASH special. Great idea. Please write to Walt Disney and tell him (laughs) your idea. And Walt may write back, although, uh, you know, the new guy, Iger, he's back now. You can write to him and say, hey, he's back in. So write to him. Yeah. Maybe. You may go for it. Throw us a bone here, would you? I don't really have an awkward or embarrassing interaction with a fan. I I never did. All the fans that I ever met were all so wonderful and nothing embarrassing happened. Really, I wish I could tell you some funny thing, but I'd have to make it up and that would be uh, insincere. Although there was that nude thing that happened with those people. (laughs) In the gas station. There's so much nudity in this podcast today. Yes, I'm so Nude sorry. in the 7-Eleven with your fans is just <laughs> not something you want to do every day. But no, <laughs> Rebecca, uh, <laughs> I, thanks for being a fan. But yeah, I, I, didn't, I don't have an embarrassing uh, story to tell about fans. There was that time that that weird fan of yours asked if you wanted to do a podcast with him. Well, yeah, there was that. I, I don't know what to do with him. He keeps calling and writing and... Uh, <laughs> It gets embarrassing. You know, it really does. Rebecca, to answer your question to the end of our phone number, yeah, that was intentional. Hey, I have a question for you, Ryan Patrick. Yes. And it is, it involves the same theme that we just talked about with- uh, Nudity? Re- <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. Good. Oh, I, I don't know. You can fill in the blank, but this is, you know, what Rebecca brought up. Now, you have done plays. You've done public appearances a lot. Have you ever encountered someone that came up to you and did some strange thing or embarrassing moment between you and someone who has watched your artistic expression? So have I ever had an embarrassing interaction with a fan? Yes. I don't have fans. (laughs) If I ever get one, I might have a story for you. I don't have a fan. So um, (laughs) recently I did To Kill a Mockingbird right before the pandemic happened. I was in a production of To Kill a Mockingbird and I played the bad guy. Bob Ewell. And it was the first time that I recall when I walked out from backstage, you know, I get out of costume and I walk out and there's always people like, you know, standing around waiting for their friends and family or whatever. It was the first time I ever walked out and I got 
booed when I walked out from backstage. <laughs> oh, wow. So, you know, there's that. I, I guess that would be awkward. Well, yeah. that's, that's a uh, that's success, actually. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. That's their appreciation. Yeah, your- then they all followed me out to the car and slashed my tires. I thought that was a little too much, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Maybe no, going overboard a, a bit. <laughs> Let's get them. <laughs> that's right. Yikes. Well, thank you, Rebecca. And I hope you had a wonderful 15th birthday. Thank you for listening. And uh, hey, that does it for this episode, Jeff. We're we're done. That it? And that does it for this year, too. Wow. This is our last episode of the year. And uh, by the way, we are going to take a little bit of a break for the holiday. If you're listening to this when it's released, we won't have a new episode until January 15th of 2023. Jeff, 2023. Wow. I mean, 2023, uh, it's scary. (laughs) It's scary that it's 2023. Not as scary as 2022 was. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you're right. That's true. At least I hope not. (laughs) It's going to be a better year, that 2023. We can only go up, right? I mean, we can only go up from here. Ah, we're going to love it. But as we close out this year, we want to thank you for listening. And we want to thank you for being such a special part of this podcast. Our listenership just continues to grow. And so thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show. And for being a part of our lives. It's an interesting thing that, you know, before we did this, and I've said this before, certainly I knew about MASH because I, I worked there, but I never <laughs> knew that it, it had the impact that it did on everybody. And I never expected this particular episode of my life to be doing this MASH podcast to have as big an impact as it's had on me. So as much as MASH has had an impact on all you folks, you folks have had a huge impact back on me. So thank you very much for having done that. We all hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful holiday and a fantastic new year. And we will see you in 2023. Until then, here's looking up your old address. 